You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. All right, our scripture reading this morning is going to be from three different books in the New Testament, from Luke 18, Ephesians 6, and 1 Corinthians 13. Here we go. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. How many of you can say amen to that? Yeah, you have, uh, in case you didn't know, walked into a little bit of history here today with a very, very tiny lowercase h. And what I mean by that is that, as you saw from the video, we have been looking at trying to put language to three ways of expressing our humanity in the world through singleness, through marriage, and through parenting. And the reason I call this a very, very tiny, extra lowercase h history is that is because I, in more than a decade of being here at Mosaic, I've just never done a series like this before. And the reason I've never done that is because I've never wanted to give off the impression that all that a church exists for, this church exists for, is just sort of to groom singles to be married. Or to somehow insist that the church exists only to support nuclear families. As important and crucial as nuclear families are to the church and to the world. And they are crucial, let's acknowledge, because when families do well, you do well. When your family struggles, you struggle. So families are crucial to the, to the well-being of society. But I haven't wanted to give off the impression that all Mosaic exists for, or what any church primarily exists for, is for the exclusive support for or creation of the nuclear family. Again, as important as families are. And here is why I haven't wanted to give that impression. It's because, as we saw in week one of this series, in the Christian faith... The primary family, as Paul made clear to churches and as Jesus Christ made clear to his own mother and siblings, Jesus Christ made it clear that the primary family in the kingdom of God is supposed to be the family of faith, the family of God, and therefore nuclear families and moms and dads and kids are supposed to fit their agendas into that upstream family. You see that, right? Not the other way around. In other words, families exist for the gospel. Families are supposed to fit in Jesus' world first, not the other way around. So I never wanted to give the wrong impression about who we are here. 
But still, as I've said, these last couple of years have been so challenging with respect to being single, being married, being a parent that I thought I'd at least try to help. Whether or not that's been true or will be true, I'll let you be the judge. So as we come to this third final week in the series today, we're coming to something now that we all have in common. Because while some of us are single, some of us are married, all of us are children. We're all children. We all had parents, or we all have parents, and therefore the the parent-child relationship is not only central to all of our lives, but the parent-child metaphor is arguably the central metaphor of the Christian faith. So let's take a stab today at creating some, some theology, some God thoughts around parenting right now. And, and as we do that, here's where, here's where I'm coming from today. I uh, am the father of, of four children. I've got three sons in high school, one senior that's about to graduate. Wow. One daughter in middle school. So, while Carrie and I, we haven't parented through college, and we certainly aren't grandparents, we have navigated the choppy waters of many years with multiple children in diapers, all the way up through teen years, public schools, driver's licenses, heartbreaks, and maybe even most of all, parenting through COVID, thank you very much, which ought to automatically produce a gold star and plaque for all parents who have done that. Truly, we, as Queen sang, are the champions of the world. So today, this is for all parents, uh, grandparents, step-parents, single parents, foster parents, adopted parents, those who want to be parents, and those for whom all of this will soon become a parent <laughs> right now. Sorry, it's just... It's a bad, a bad dad joke. Listen, this, 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 this just reminds me of the dad who, who, whose wife gave birth in her car on the way to the hospital in the delivery room. And when he got there, he named the kid Carson. Get it? Car, Carson. Listen, you had to know you're going to get at least one bad dad joke in the parenting sermon. And you've gotten two, so you ought to go home happy no matter what. All right, here we go. Let's do this. Let's do this in four parts today. All right. We're looking at children, parents, homes, and father. Children, parents, homes, and father. Here we go. Let's take a look at parenting, number one, and take a look at children. What does the Bible say about children? Let's start this by playing a little game today, shall we? This game is called, What Am I? Okay, what am I? I'm going to ask you a series of questions and see if you can figure out what I am through this next series of six clues I'm about to give you. You guys ready? Here we go. What am I? Number one, I am something that is totally voluntary. People only participate in me because they want to. Number two, I occur at specific times in specific places. Number three, I often have very specific and sometimes quite complex rules. Number four, people often practice imitating me repeatedly. Number four, even when I am planned well, my outcome can never be predicted, and if it could, I'd be ruined. Number five, some people perceive me as a waste of time. Number six, finally, alternate forms of me can break out just about any way, any time. What am I? Want to take a guess? I'm, I'm I think maybe I heard it in there. I'm actually two things, thank you very much. First of all, I am a game. 
I'm a game. I could be chess, a riddle, a sport, like a make-believe world, but fundamentally, I am something people play. I'm a game. But I'm not just a game by this, by this definition in series of clues. I am also something else. I'm not just a game. Number two, I am also worship. I'm also worship. Worship. I am something that is totally voluntary. Some might consider me a waste of time. I can break out anytime, anywhere. And like a game, I am undertaken simply for the joy, the sheer joy of being able to participate in it. All right? Show's over. You all did great. All right. Dr. Brian Edgars, a professor of mine, Asbury Theological Seminary, came up with that in his excellent book, The God Who Plays. Book of the Year, by the way, 2018, Christianity Today. But here's what I'm getting at. Here's what I'm getting at. When Jesus says, let the children come to me, for to such belong the kingdom of God, he's not just showing us something unheard of, which is that the God of the universe, when he came to earth in human form, he pushed away his work, to play with his children. That would have been jaw-dropping in and of itself. That itself would have created new and incredible value around children. Oh, but it's even more than that because Jesus goes on to say this. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Why? It's because children are vulnerable, children are dependent, and children are playful. They're playful. Children, in other words, are natural worshipers. Natural worshipers. They naturally, vulnerably, voluntarily enter into a world where they acknowledge they don't know it all. And they enter into it sheerly for the joy of experiencing it. They are natural worshipers. And do you know, actually, that most weeks, the most powerful, if you want to call it this, worship moment at Mosaic Church doesn't take place in this room. It doesn't. It takes place in other rooms, in MKIDS, in our student conferences, or ENC conferences. Kids don't just stand there and stare with a drink in their hand. <laughs> Only participating if they happen to like the song the worship leader chose. Okay. And don't do it. They just go for it. Right? Theologically, then, children are not an inconvenience or a burden. They are a model and a gift. They are crucial to us and to the life of this church. They call us not to be childish, but to be playful worshipers. Okay? And I'll say this as well. Parents like Jesus sometimes push away your work to play with your kids. You'll be glad that you did. Number two, parents. Parents. What does the Bible have to say about parents? Not a lot, actually. <laughs> it's actually far more full of bad examples, if we were honest. Isaac, Jacob, David come to mind, yeah. But there is some instruction for us. Look at Ephesians 6. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, basically Paul is saying this, Parents, Especially fathers, dads, if you're not careful, parents can raise children who end up being angry with and resentful toward them in the end. How do parents do this? How do parents do this? Actually, we'll look at how we can avoid it. But first of all, how do parents do this? Paul says, you'll actually raise them to resent you if you fall into, this is saying, one of two ditches. The first ditch you can fall into, we're going to break these down, 
is the authoritarian view of parenting. The authoritarian view is centered around punishment for disobedience. Punishment for disobedience. The authoritarian view says nothing less than perfect obedience every time is the chief goal of parenting. Well, let me tell you something. Perfect obedience is not the goal. The Bible never says that. Ephesians actually doesn't say that. I'll tell you why in a minute. But parents who embrace this view overcorrect every little word, every little choice, every little behavior, leave their children angry at them. But you'll notice here, Paul doesn't say to punish your children. He does say to bring them up. The Greek word here literally means to nourish and to nurture, as in to grow towards health. Paul says, grow healthy children with discipline, not punishment, discipline, a word that means to teach and to train. This thing, dads, nourish, moms, nurture, bring them up, lift them up, support them, invest in them. Don't put them down with insults. Bring them up with good teaching, good coaching, courageous and consistent, nourishing, teaching then is at the heart of healthy parenting. Oh, but there's another ditch to fall into, Paul lays out here. Not the authoritarian view, but what we'll call the absentee view. Absentee view. Uh, put it like this. A few years ago, I was talking with someone who was visiting our, our church. Uh, an atheist came in who actually liked us. How about that? Liked you, yeah. And he liked it, the community, the music, the vibe, the free coffee, all of that. But he said this afterward. He says, you know, I liked it, but you know, something made me nervous here. Do you know what it is? I said, no, but I feel like you're about to tell me. <laughs> he said, it's the kids. The kids here make me nervous. I said, what do you mean? He said, do you actually tell them what to believe? I said, yes. He said, that makes me really uncomfortable. I asked him why. He said, I just think we should let children decide for themselves what to believe. Maybe you've heard that. So I asked him, I said, okay, okay. Would you say that all moral choices are equal? Like, would you say it's okay to let children decide for themselves, say whether murder is okay or not? He said, no, <laughs> thankfully. I said, so you do actually believe at some level in not only telling children what to believe and what to think, but what to do and not do. He paused and said, Oh, I can see where you're going with this. <laughs> he said, I guess I do. I said, it's okay, you should, because that's a good thing. We should care about truth, about right and wrong. And so I told him this. Here's why we do what we do. If I'm a person, and if our parents are here, and we be really believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he loves us, and he came for us, and he is the one Savior for the whole world, and we believe that is true and right, well, why wouldn't we want to teach our children that? He said, okay, I get it, all right. My point is this, not all choices are equal, not all morality is equal. There is such a thing as right and wrong and truth and lies, and that's why Paul says, don't just bring them up any old way. Don't just lift them up any way you see fit. Don't just let them discover for themselves how they think they should live. Bring them up aimed at God. Bring them up aimed at God because people do not come in. You don't come in morally neutral today. You don't. We actually come in, the Bible says, predisposed to self, predisposed to selfishness, predisposed to building ourselves up, putting others down. And therefore, if we just let children just choose for themselves, 
that means they will just choose themselves. See that? If we just let them choose for themselves, they will just choose themselves. Non-direction, non-training, non-discipline actually makes us worse. Paul then here is giving us an aim towards how to heal the world. Aim your children toward the heart of God. Encouragement, reject the authoritarian view on one hand, the absentee view on the other. In the end, both will leave children provoked to anger, angry, resentful. They can resent us for over-parenting or under-parenting. How can we get it right? Number three. Let's look at what we do in our homes. What kind, of, what kind of parenting, what kind of home environment can we cultivate that will aim them in that way? Well, Jesus, unfortunately for us, never actually taught on parenting. But he did speak to how humans were to behave in all situations. He called it his new commandment. A new commandment I give you, he said, that you love one another as I have loved you. And of course, the Apostle Paul picks this up in the very famous chapter of 1 Corinthians 13, which talks all about how we live out Jesus' new commandment, how we get a handle on love. You could call these statements in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's love handles. Yes, you're welcome. (laughs) Jokes aside, in light of Jesus' command, Paul's command to love, let me give you one idea and then unpack it in three parts. One big idea for your home today, here it is. Staying connected to a child's heart is the north star of parenting. Staying connected to a child's heart is the north star of parenting. You can do a lot of things wrong, parents, grandparents, but if you do this one thing right, you'll win way more then you lose. How can you stay connected to your child's heart? Let me try to give you three ways. How do we cultivate a, a home that aims them toward the heart of God? First, we do this by honoring. Honoring, First Corinthians says, love is patient, love is kind. Now remember, remember how I said earlier that obedience isn't necessarily the first goal of parenting. Here's why. What if you are actually an evil parent today? You're like, it's not me, but someone maybe is coming to your mind. I don't know. Maybe in the home in which you were raised. A warped parent. A messed up parent. A parent who teaches their child bad things, wrong things. If that were you, and you somehow came to your mind, came to your senses, you would know you would actually not want your children to obey you no matter what. You you would, if you were thinking clearly, not want them to obey you, but you would want them actually, though, to honor you. Honor you no matter what. And in this case, honoring you would mean listening to you and then not obeying you, right? And that's why Paul's command back in Ephesians 6 for children to obey their parents can only be seen in light, which he references, of that fifth command in the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. See, honor, not obedience, is at the center, in the end, of the parent-child relationship. Besides, and you know this, if you've got teens or adult kids, the at obedience bit, that only lasts for a few years. The honor bit is for a lifetime. Again, think about it. Sometimes, many times, honor is actually better than obedience. Because sometimes a child will only obey you, only do the minimum to stay out of trouble. Hmm? 
squeeze the curfew, barely do the minimum, stay out of trouble because they're selfish or they fear you, but they don't really love you. They're not honoring you. And even though love will and should many times look like obedience, what you are really wanting, parents, is an obedience based out of honor. Okay? And using either sarcasm or belittling or picking apart your children's performance will not create what you want in the end. A few years ago, after a Saturday morning of sports tryouts, I was walking back to my car, and I was walking back to my car behind this parent, dad, and a junior high boy, and what I saw and I heard was not good. Evidently, I gathered from the conversation, which was very loud, the boy had gone to the tryout, and when it was his turn, he actually couldn't go through with it. Couldn't go through with it. And I was overhearing this very loud conversation, and then they got in the car, and they shut the doors, and it got worse. Um, even with the doors closed, I could hear the dad's words verbatim. The father began to curse his son for not going through with it. What the blankety blank is wrong with you, middle school son? You do this every blankety blank time. God, mm, you, you mm, cry baby, verbatim. Why did you have me sign you up for this? Now, I walked past, obviously getting grieved, heard the cursing continue, then decided, a pastor, a pastor should do something, right? I can't take it anymore. I walked back to the car, took a deep breath, blew up all 170 pounds I've got, tried to flex a little bit, puffed my body up, got up right next to the car, about two feet from the window, looked at the dad, looked at the son, stared at the son. I said, is everything okay here? Do you need some help? Mm. Father sort of, you know, powered down. He's like, we're fine. But you could tell by the frightened look on the boy's face that he, that he wasn't. That's dishonor. Okay? That's belittling. That will actually not help your child do better. Life, school, tryout, whatever. That parent disconnected himself from a child's heart. You know, I don't think I've ever actually heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say to me, you know, you should have yelled at your kids some more. You should have cursed them more or at all, right? Listen, parenting in love is patient. It's kind. It honors. Second, how can we create a culture that aims our kids toward the heart of God? We differentiate. We practice differentiating. It says love does not envy or boast. Differentiation, never heard the term, at its essence means that someone else's success or failure doesn't define you as a person or parent. Now this is really hard because as, as parents, if you're a parent, grandparent, you know, uncle, aunt, you all have that moment where the kid or the child gets the award, right? Or wins the game or gets the ribbon or the prize or they're honored by a teacher or an authority figure and what happens? Again, it's like, you're, man, your, your chest swells up three sizes and you're like, that's right, that's my kid. I taught him that. It's like when my son dunked. I'm like, I taught him that. I didn't, but I just felt like I did. I can't even get the rim, right? He's a giant, I'm not point is feeling the delight that comes from a child's success. That's one thing. God feels that way about us, but boasting in, deriving your identity from your child's success or failure is something that twists the child. It's called an enmeshed relationship. 
and mesh. They're stuck together, can't get one apart from the other. Give you another story. I got lots of these from sports. Thank you. When one of my sons was 11, he won this big Central Texas All-Star Tournament. Uh, Long-term folks here will remember this story. Uh, be brief. It was a crazy game. Come from behind, last-minute win in a very dramatic form against a very unpleasant coach and team. Always the best kind of win if you can secure one. The coach had done this series of pelvic thrusts towards our team. Yeah. A bunch of 11-year-olds. Uh, he had insulted my wife to her face before the game to try to steal the shady dugout, which he got. But the worst of it came after the game when our team scored this winning run and it was all over. The catcher for the other team who had been intentionally trying to hurt our players, the umpire had to stop and warn that kid multiple times, stop spiking them, thought throwing, throwing the ball at him. The catcher, who was in fact the coach's son after the game in the handshake line, started coming up to our players after the game saying, you you suck, you suck, you suck. Well, his dad, the coach, in the ultimate display of irony, grabbed his son, started literally running off the field and began to curse him again as they headed toward the parking lot in the dark. He called his 11-year-old. He said, you son of a, mm, how dare you do that? I am ashamed to call you my son. It's terrible. Now, of course, the boy had just been doing what he'd seen his father doing, but never mind that. What was the dad experiencing? A loss of identity. His son lost, so he'd lost. His son misbehaved, so he misbehaved, and he couldn't handle it. That's enmeshed, not differentiated. By contrast, maybe about 10 years ago when one of my children here was about five, here in church on a Sunday morning after the service, Carrie went to go pick up this particular child from class. And the teacher, who has since moved away, <laughs> not because of the story I'm about to tell, but <laughs> came up to Carrie and said, your child was disrespectful during class. And frankly, I expected better behavior out of a pastor's kid. Verbatim. Carrie kept her composure, God bless her, and said this. First of all, I'm very sorry my child misbehaved. But two things about that. Number one, we actually do expect our child to behave. We're happy to talk about that with them later. But number two, being a pastor's kid is not a thing. It's not actually a category of human, okay? Um, our child is five years old, is a person not a pastor's kid, and so I expected you would actually treat them like you would treat any other child in class. Now, the teacher didn't like that, of course. Didn't have kids either, for that matter, but all right. <laughs> but I'm so proud of Carrie. She could have caved and just said, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm sure, I'll make sure our child knows they should obey better because of my husband's position. And whatever my husband's position makes me, which I don't know. But that's the opposite of differentiation. That would have been deriving her identity and making our child derive their identity from the job the parent works. That's not the goal. Our goal is to help them derive their identity from the person of Jesus Christ most of all. So listen, enjoy your kids' successes. Coach them through their failures, but don't allow them to define you. Third, how do we create a culture that aims our kids toward the heart of God? We create a culture of restoring, honoring differentiating and restoring. Paul writes, love never ends. Listen, teaching your children how to make things right, when they do sin, when they do dishonor, disobey, when they do create a relational rift, 
teaching them how to get that back, that's a mandatory life skill, isn't it? And guess what? Parents, speak to you for a second. We get to go first in this. Let me ask you. When you were separated from God, what did God do? Did he move further away from you or come closer? No, he moved closer. He came down literally on our level, moved into our world, humbled himself, though he had done nothing wrong. Therefore, parents, I want to tell you, it is not too much to ask you to apologize to a child when you have done something wrong, flown off the handle, disciplined in anger or lied or something. It's not too much for you to look at your child and model how a relationship is restored. And you apologize specifically for what you did. Because a real apology always requires a preposition and an object of the preposition. I am sorry for doing this. Model this. And yes, teach them how to do this with teachers, classmates, friends, siblings. I'm going to tell you this. Listen, in the end, did you hear me? It's your behavior not your rules, that will not only make your children want to be like you, but will determine whether or not they like you. Hear that? It's your behavior more than your rules that will determine whether your children want to be like you and whether or not they will like you. Teach them that love never ends. And the main way we do this ultimately is by looking at, number four, not just children, parents, homes, but at Father, Father. You know, when we think as parents, grandparents, of all the things that Jesus Christ ever taught, if we think about all the stories he ever told, if you ask people to name the one thing they love most, the favorite teaching from all his teachings, if you took a story, a survey, excuse me, a survey, the odds are the story people would name the most above the rest would be the story of the prodigal son. Or what will more rightly be called the story of the father with two sons, two lost sons. Why do we love this story? We love this story because Jesus introduced for all time, all the world, to the kind of parent, the kind of father we all long for. Because first of all, he was super rich and could throw a nice party. So that's nice, right? But way more than that, Jesus showed us a father who was neither authoritarian nor absentee. A father who didn't overpunish or underraise. We see a father who honored his children, who loved his children even when they didn't obey, and did everything within his power to see that that relationship was restored. We see a father who covers his son's nakedness with his own robe, covers his own son's poverty with his own wealth. We see a father who goes running after a wayward child, who celebrates even the smallest effort to please him, and yes, who draws right boundaries with another child, Jesus shows us God, not the distant heavenly being, not God the angry punisher, but God the heavenly father, heavenly parent. Therefore, if you're asking today, if you're a mom or your dad and you're asking, you're a single parent, you're asking, I've got a struggling child, what do I do? Well, I don't know what all you can do, but I do know something that might end up bringing a lot of change into the situation. It's meditating on the Heavenly Father's love 
for his child, this parable, and allowing it to soak into your words, soak into your thoughts, allowing this story, this parable, this teaching to transform you into a non-anxious presence in your child's life, and then you go from there. What if you just looked at your child full of the heavenly father's love for his children and just said, I love you no matter what. What's it going to take for me to stay connected with you? Then listen. And if you're a child here today, even an adult child here today, and you're carrying anger from being overparented by incessant punishment or somehow on purpose or accidentally underparented through abandonment, and you're asking, what should I do again specifically? I don't know all the specifics, but what if? What if you just saw that parent as the lost child, the lost son or daughter, as the prodigal in need of rescuing and saving. What if you recognize that apart from the grace of God, that would be you too, that's where you would be? What if you saw your broken parent as a lost child in need of rescue and that the same heart that the father had for his lost child, you could have hmm, for your heavenly father's lost child who just happened to be your parent? Hmm. What if you just look at them and said, follow the father heart of God, I forgive you. I forgive you. See, ultimately, even the very best mothers and fathers are nothing more than the channel of God's love. See, the channel of God's love. And in him, our heavenly father, come on, through Jesus Christ, we can taste and touch the source source and allow that to shape and transform our parenting. Hope you can say amen to this. Lord, we come in Jesus' name and we thank you, Lord, today for having this heart for us. This is how you see us. You come running for us. You throw open wide the doors of your home for us. You clothe us in your robe. You cover our nakedness with your own riches and our own poverty with your wealth. And Lord, I'm praying today for every person in this room, both as parents and his children. That you'd allow us, Lord, to taste the source of true love today and express that towards those around us. Express that towards our children when it's hard. The nights get long. The days are tough. Lord, express that with our own parents. We're all imperfect and all in need of rescue. And Lord, I'm praying most of all, we would not provoke our children to anger, but instead we would nourish them, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of Jesus Christ himself. May these things be true of us as a church. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.